Jazzcast Pros. Greetings, friends. This is Pastor George Nicholas, and you're here again with our Igniting Hope podcast. We're so glad that you've taken some time today out of your busy, busy schedule, busy life to just share maybe about 30 minutes with us as we talk about some very important issues that impact the life of people of African descent who live here in Western New York who are struggling with Alzheimer's and dementia. My mother has been diagnosed with uh, dementia. And so here's a woman who was very vibrant person in good health and still in very good physical health. But the dynamics, the impact of her dementia, it's not just her struggle, but it's become a family struggle. And it's so important that we don't soldier on by ourselves. Really being Afrocentric is really being connected to one another in community, right? And more Western thinking is is more individualistic. And so we have to forget, we have to, to really embrace one another and seek support, not only within our extended family, but with also within our, our community family. Today, I have a, a very special guest from the Alzheimer's Association, and her name is Sade Dozen. And she is a part of a group that's called Caring Across Generations and trying to get people to see those who are outside of our communities that so many of the people who are caring for their mothers, their fathers, their grandparents, their aunties, or whoever also have a series of their own needs. She can talk about family caregivers and the support that they need to help our elders age with dignity. You know, in the African tradition, our elders are held with the highest, the highest esteem. And those of us who have benefited from the wisdom and the love and the care of our elders, we have a moral obligation to to make sure that in the August of their years, they live their their lives with dignity and respect and honor. You know, of African-Americans who over the age of 70, 21.3% of them are living with Alzheimer's. That's at a rate that's two times the rate of white people. So when you think about our seniors in our community, 21% of them will be struggling with Alzheimer's. And that's at a rate that's twice our white brothers and sisters. And when families, and it's really a family, when it's not only your loved one that has Alzheimer's, it's like the family has it because the family has to to address the issues and adjust their lives a little bit to be able to provide care for their loved one. And about half of African-Americans who have tried to get services for their loved ones have experienced discrimination. 65% of us in our community know someone with Alzheimer's or dementia. And because of the historical uh, racism within the healthcare system, many African Americans are, are fearful or are hesitant in participating in, in clinical trials that could really provide some breakthroughs around caring and, and turning back the clock a little bit or helping those who have Alzheimer's. There's no cure for Alzheimer's, but there has been some promising uh, research that's come out with some medications that seem to be uh, making some progress. So we need to have a conversation about this in our community. And we've had 
The Alzheimer's Association of Western New York has been a great partner with us at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. And, and so on April 1st, we're going to have our third annual African-American Caregiving Conference. And it's entitled, It's a Family Affair. And that will be at the Frank Merriweather Library at 1324 Jefferson Avenue. And then if you log on to our website, buffalohealthequity.org, buffalohealthequity.org, there will be a way for you to direct you to, uh, if you cannot physically make it there, to join us via Zoom. And so all that information about the conference on April 1st, uh, it's a Saturday from 1 to 3.30, uh, we will be having a conversation, a family meeting around caregiving and how do we care for our loved ones who are struggling with Alzheimer's and dementia. If you want more information about Igniting Hope podcasts, please log on to our, our website, buffalohealthequity.org, buffalohealthequity.org. You'll see uh, today's podcast as well as all the other podcasts that we have done probably about the last six or seven months talking about some really important issues that are facing us in our community. So I want to bring uh, Shade into the conversation now and Hi, thank you so much for having me, Pastor. I appreciate it. And I I'm will, <laughs> of course, I think I'll, I'll start with saying that I'm very excited to be joining you at the third annual Black and African American Dementia Caregivers Conference that's happening in Buffalo. I will say that the easiest way to talk about my connection to the work is to kind of talk a little bit about my own care story and journey. I am a Black Latina. My mother's Puerto Rican. My dad is African American. I'm from New York. And we recently, well, not recently, I would say four years ago, found out that we were going to have a child. So my parents um, and I, we, we came up with a whole plan and we're like, let's move and let's make all these things, big transitions happen. The idea was that they would kind of help me care for my daughter. Um, but my mother had a heart attack about when my mo- my daughter was about six months old. So I went from being a daughter to a new mom to a sandwich generation caregiver in a matter of months. And I would say that that was my first real entry point to care. I am navigating their support as they age. I'm navigating the obstacles that we're facing within the healthcare system, within the policy landscape for services around the care infrastructure. And as I think through the support that my parents need in particular, both my mother and my father, I realized that I needed to do more. So that's how I ended up at Caring Across Generations, which is an organization that works to shift how care is valued in this country. Um, We do that through policy work, through narrative change work, and really thinking about the intersectionalities of care. Because even in my story alone, there's support for my parents, there's the need for paid leave, there's a need for childcare, and realizing how interconnected it is in our community and how we really need to to talk about the long-term supports that, that we need and deserve. So when you talk about some of the obstacles and services, can you kind of share, you know, what you've experienced in terms of your own your own story, as well as what you're hearing from others who are or who are in the situation where they're trying to care for their parents, grandparents, or other loved ones. Yeah, absolutely. 
both my parents are in their 70s. And when my mother had her heart attack, she was um, in remission from cancer for quite a while. Um, Her heart attack really exacerbated additional issues that were occurring in her life. So she needed more immediate urgent care. Because my parents, my parents worked for the city their whole lives for, for years. So they were able to be in a place where they received a pension, they received social security, and they didn't actually qualify for Medicaid. So after my mother's heart attack, and we were in the process of being discharged from the hospital, they essentially said to us, well, you know, the best thing for your mother's recovery is going to be a walker. But she can't currently walk. So she needs a wheelchair for mobility. Um, But you know, you can't have both your insurance doesn't cover both, but you need both. And that was a perfect example of the current barriers that exist within our system. And then it becomes, you know, your responsibility, right? The idea that then I have to figure out how to pay for a walker or a wheelchair, figure out, make a choice around my mother's care and decision. And that is not actually something that should fall just on me. It's the inability to afford these services, like she needed a care worker, but we didn't qualify for the care worker because um, home and community-based services are funded through Medicaid and not Medicare. So our inability to afford home care or even take paid time off to care for our loved ones isn't actually a personal failure. But the narrative that we hear so often, especially in our communities, especially in the black and brown communities, is you do for your own. You got to make it work. You figure it out. And it's not actually a personal failure. It's a problem of public policy and infrastructure. So it's really a systemic issue when you think about racism, barriers, intergenerational poverty. And these systemic issues actually need systemic solutions. It's so so interesting that you kind of raise that at so many levels. One, because we, you know, we at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, and our mission is to eliminate uh, race-based health disparities in our region. And when you think about the social determinants of health, and oftentimes they, we think of them only in the context of chronic disease, mm. uh, but the social determinants of health really play themselves out even in our abilities and capacity to navigate through the system and being a caregiver uh, for our loved ones. Can you kind of react to that a little bit? Uh, there's a there's a level of displacement and fracturing that happens within our communities, and it's, it's a cyclical process. Our barriers to access our barriers to access consistent health care impact how we age, impact, and then the barriers that we face as we're aging and need support for disabilities then further perpetuate that issue. I think that also ties into overall, as our community faces this progression, then there's also the idea of this cycle that kind of further pushes us into poverty. The J.P. Morgan, um, there's an article that they, there's a study that they published around caregiving or caregiving being a decelerator of, of wealth. The issues are fully intersected and they further exacerbate themselves. So when we think about the systemic racism that exists within our healthcare complex, it serves as a direct barrier to access and entry for healthcare. 
And the fact that folks then don't have access to fair and equitable health care further creates strain on when they do age, they, they end up with additional chronic conditions. Then they then face a barrier to services to support those chronic conditions and diseases that then further creates a cycle where the family members are then having to provide full-time support or hands-on support, many of which whom are women of color who are then dropping out of the workforce, which then serves as another barrier to poverty. Like you see what I'm saying? So as as each one builds upon itself and the root of it is anchored in those systems and the systemic issues. So when you think about, you know, the kind of community gatherings, one of the challenges that we have from time to time is, especially as it relates to issues around mental health, the health of our aged, aging community, aging population, palliative care, all those things that sometimes we, we suffer in silence. And that's why I think it's really, really important to have these kinds of events that we're going to have Saturday, April 1st at one o'clock for the community at the Frank E. Merriweather Library. And uh, that's at 1324 Jefferson Avenue in the city of Buffalo. You know, a couple transparency moments I want to share with you is, you know, recently my mother has been diagnosed with uh, dementia. And so here's a woman who was very vibrant person in good health and still in very good physical health. But the dynamics, the impact of her dementia, it's not just her struggle, but it's become a family struggle. And it's so important that we don't soldier on by ourselves. We kind of contradict ourselves in some ways in our behaviors when we try to claim so much Afrocentricity and really in the center of that, really being Afrocentric is really being connected to one another in community, right? And a more Western thinking is is more individualistic and a more Eastern thinking is more community-based. And so we have to forget, we have to, to really embrace one another and seek support, not only within our extended family, but with also within our, our community family. And that's why it's so important for us to to have these kinds of events. Hey, if you're enjoying this episode, check out the Healthy Illness Podcast with me, Kelly Marie, as we build healthy relationships while living with mental health conditions. I'm diagnosed and live with borderline personality disorder, major depression, and generalized anxiety. And Despite those diagnoses, I've been able to live a full life. I have healthy relationships, a great career, and my mission is to help you do the same. So join me for Healthy Illness Podcast. New episodes every Monday on the Jazzed Cast Pros Network, found on the podcast player you're listening to right now. Be the light. Greetings, everyone. My name is Ra. Yes, I am the host of Father Torch. I would like to take this time to invite you in my discussions on very, very important topics of being a black and brown father in today's society. Being a parent, the other parent, we face trials and tribulations too. We have worries, we have feelings. Here at Father Torch, 
we promote the advocacy of being the dad you wish you had. Join me at fathertorch.com. Now, when we talk about uh, services um, and another transparency moment, and I'm going to be calling on you, Sade, to have some further conversations offline, is uh, Governor Hochul is in the process of developing a master plan for aging, for the age population here in New York State. And there are those who are experts of dealing with the age population. And somehow they asked me to be on this commission as well. So I find myself sitting in this space with these people who, who uh, you know, that's what they do on a day-to-day basis. But one of the things that was really kind of took me back a little bit is the perception of, well, people, the age population in New York State is in relatively good health. And maybe in Long Island and White Plains, or maybe in in Williamsville or parts of Clarence, the more affluent areas, that maybe that's a reality. But certainly in black and brown communities, it's not been my experience that our, our seniors are in relatively good health. So it's interesting when you have policymakers and others kind of have one perception of one reality based on their their circle and sometimes being kind of oblivious to the realities of people who who don't live in their neighborhood or in their community. Mm-hmm. This is actually why I think it's it's you know you should be on the committee. Family caregivers, those that are impacted by care directly, should be involved in creating the solutions because there needs to be a centering of folks directly at the core center of the impact who who move forward the work so that you know this idea of everything's fine is <laughs> it's not that is not accurate that's not that's not fine um i think about this a lot actually i have um generalized anxiety disorder and then i also have rheumatoid arthritis and my rheumatoid arthritis is quite aggressive it, there is, you know, my doctors and I have been talking and there's going to be a date. We're not quite sure if it's a couple of years from now, a decade from now, we're not, can't quite figure out how to pin it, but then I'm not going to be able to function in the way that I currently do on a day-to-day basis that I, and then there is going to be a time after that, that I'm going to need full-time care and lose significant mobility. And yes, RA going undiagnosed, being misdiagnosed, those are fairly common. Um, I think especially if we look at the in the black communities again because of access to healthcare, the racism embedded within the American system, it ends up being that lots of things go untreated for a very long time. So again, there's the perception of everything is fine until it is not, and you need significant, immediate, direct care. And that is something that is prevalent in our communities where you don't know or you don't find out or you don't move forward with treatment until it is to the point where it is fully exacerbated. That again, points back to the systemic issues. So my, my response is the community is aging and this is not going to be something that goes away, no matter how, you know, quote unquote, healthy your community is, folks are going to need care. And the current care workforce is not at a level to meet these current needs. The policies and infrastructure are not where they need to be to meet these current needs. And it is a conundrum that we are going to face 
and we are currently facing right now. So yes, let's do this plan of aging. Let's get some policy work. Let's let's make it happen right now. And one of the things, Shadi, that in, in in your your story of your own personal challenges, coupled with your responsibility to care for uh, your family, is not unique. It's mm-hmm. pretty much the norm. And what do I mean by that? It's been my experience that so many people who are caregiving right now have needs as well. But we have so many occurrences of the sick caring for the sick. And there's such a need for so much support to give people the kind of breathing room to just live. And so when you're thinking about improving the caregiving model, it's much more nuanced and complex because you got to really look at the entire community and environment in which the central person, the aged, aged person who needs care, and the person that's providing the care for the aged person. And if they come from that same community with all these other disparities and historical traumas and all these things that are going on, that it really creates a real combustible model that that is really not sustainable in any real way, if you think about it. I mean, we we do a great job of putting on masks and doing things to make it seem like things aren't as critical as they really are. But then there becomes a point of diminishing returns, right? And so that's why it's so important for us to be to to really be proactive and to really think about issues around caregiving, not just in the context of adding and providing more services, which are necessary, but also into creating the kind of beloved or just community, which many people that's not their experience. I what I'll what I'll say is, you know, we're over 150 years post slavery is about abolition, right? And care still remains to be devalued. And those that are, of course, experiencing the deepest inequities are folks of color, are Black folks, especially Black women, um, as they as we think about those that are leaving the workforce to support their families, those that are, those are their, the, the sole providers for their families that are facing those choices. We don't actually care in silos. We don't operate in silos. And I agree, we need to talk about everything comprehensively, care comprehensively, which is why I'm pointing to the care infrastructure, including childcare, paid leave, services, supports, like it all is connected. And I faced these choices, navigating my own diagnosis, thinking about my long, the long-term impacts that it will have for my daughter, thinking about how I support my parents. And a fleet of questions came across my mind. Do I quit my job? Do I move in with them? Do I, do I prioritize their care over my own? And I think about my own anxiety around finances, long-term sustainability, and the worst part. I know that this isn't the way. I know that it is actually not my own individual responsibility, that it's not my family's individual responsibility. And the reason why it feels so impossible and why it feels like I'm constantly chasing after something that is unsustainable is because it is. It is impossible. And 
that's kind of what keeps me going. It keeps me up at night, but it also keeps me going is that there is a clear set of policy solutions to support this. And we need to talk in our community and break those false narratives that it's just us doing this alone for ourselves. And that it needs to be a point towards the public solutions. It's time for you know, black and brown leadership to really step up and prioritize our issues. I'm so exhausted with leadership that takes time and energy and and political capital, making sure the aspirations of, of the white community are fulfilled. And then when it comes time to, to the issues that are, are going to impact our lives, you know, we're constantly being told to wait or, you know, it's complex or, you know, I'm working on it and all this other stuff. And then in the meantime, we don't see those delays happening for those who live outside of our communities. You know, here we have these experience here with the building of football stadiums and downtown development. And, and we see these things happening around us. And then the simple policy and and investment type of things that we desperately need for us and our communities. It always seems like we're just told to wait and, and there's all these excuses made for, for simple policy and programmatic solutions that could really have a positive impact upon the quality of our lives. Mm. What's your thought on that? I mean, outside of yes, absolutely. (laughs) You know, I think about, choices a lot. Ultimately, the goal that I am working towards, that a lot of folks in the care movement are working towards is the choice. You have the ability to choose how you are cared for and how you care, what you receive support for. That That is part of it. And and I feel right now that choices are being removed from us, that we that we, we inherit a system so broken that we, we don't even have the ability to choose. So I say, like, as a community, we need to make a collective decision to make sure that we have better choices for our world, for our community, for our care infrastructure. And the way that I do it, I choose to to wield my own voice, my choice and power with caring across generations. But I think that whether it is you know, signing petitions, participating in larger public displays, having additional language, um, you know, participating in calls to action, like all of those things are so key to how transformation and change is made. We have to utilize our voice. We have to be firm on those choices that we are entitled to, those choices about how we live and how we age and how we care for each other so that we don't have the future generations inheriting these broken systems that we exist in and create these false narratives of this is how it is and this is how we're going to keep it as it is. No, we need to demand more and fight for it. Yes. Yes. And that's what we're, you know, we're committed to that work here at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. And and certainly, you know, Shade, your the passion and the wisdom, knowledge that comes through uh, in your voice today clearly shows that uh, you are deeply committed to seeing that caregiving for family and friends and that it operates at a level 
that all of us can feel comfortable and that our loved ones are living lives, whether they're suffering from dementia, Alzheimer's, or or anything, that they live their lives with dignity and respect. So I would again invite you to uh, join us uh, Saturday, April f- 1. And, 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 and the notion oh, it's April Fools. The, the, the real fool is the person that doesn't seek more knowledge. And so we're looking for the community to come out on Saturday, April 1st at 1 o'clock. It's a family affair, our third annual African-American caregiving conference sponsored by the Alzheimer's Association, Highmark of Western New York, uh, the Erie County Department of Senior Services, uh, Congress member Brian Higgins, the University of Buffalo's School of Neurology, and the Center for Elder Law and Justice, and also the New York State Department of Health. So thank you so much, Jade, for spending this moment with us today. And again, if you want more information about any of our work at the Buffalo Center for Health Equity, log on to our website, buffalohealthequity.org, buffalohealthequity.org. And we'll also put on uh, on our website how you can reach the Caring Across Generations organization. And we'll put some information about them on our website as well. So I look forward to seeing you all on, on Saturday, April 1st at the Frank Merriweather Library. And so this is Igniting Hope Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. And we love you. And make sure that you show your love to one another. sleep, the parent company to the Doze, we're looking to simplify the process of getting you consistent and better sleep. So we're excited to unveil a unique approach to home sleep testing as part of our new model. Our unique device, unlike traditional options, can be used for up to 28 days. It's a convenient, easy to use, and wallet-friendly option. Plus, we deliver it free right to your doorstep with free returns. No more back and forth to doctor's appointments. Also, if you have a sleep disorder, we provide remote appointments that fit your schedule with no travel needed. A prescription for therapy is also provided without the need to spend multiple nights in a sleep lab. Last, it's a great tool for gaining actionable insights on how to improve your sleep. Visit us at startwithsleep.com to schedule yours today.